Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Now That's What I Call Podcast. I'm Paul. And I'm Will. And we're here to discuss our October listens. October Tookie lo- Listen Breakdown. <laughs> spooky season. We listen spooky to Spooky season. Only... Spooky music? Question mark? Spooky season. Spooky What if we music? just did like I... our favorite? We should have done like our favorite Halloween sound effects records. For, <laughs> for this I'll throw some Halloween sound effects in. There's, there's, there's one. Um, the for me, obviously, times. number one is uh, the, one of the best jokes from 30 Rock, a show with a lot of good jokes. Oh, yeah. Werewolf uh, Bar Mitzvah. Werewolf, werewolf Bar Mitzvah. <laughs> Maybe the funniest. That's a very, very the, funny song. The best Spooky parody song scary. about boys becoming men. Men making me wolves is an amazing joke, and it makes me laugh every time. Yeah, uh, it's so, never yeah, not good. We, um... So uh, my number one recommendation for October is Werewolf Bar Mitzvah, a throwaway gag from a really good comedy TV show, 30 Rock. Uh, Will, how are you doing today? Oh, I, I'm doing well. Um, I've been listening to some records this weekend, one of which I'll, I'll kind of talk about. And then awesome. November is a, is a busy vinyl release uh, uh, month. So I have a lot of pre-orders coming in for November that I'm very excited to get. Ooh. Uh, my hands on, and October for me was a busy new release month, which was like a little bit unusual. But there were, yeah, I mean, I was I was listening to a fair amount of stuff, um, newer stuff, and there were I picked out three obviously for for today that I liked. But I feel like right now towards the end of the year, there's like a ton of stuff coming out on vinyl, a lot of cool reissues, um, and a lot of cool new stuff that I'm that I'm really digging. So it's a, I, I feel like I'm in a good musical position. I don't know if yeah, you're in the same way, I, but I'm I, really I was... digging this. I remember kind of having to scrape a bit from November, but I really had to yeah. narrow it down yeah. from October. And actually, uh, I wonder—I was wondering if you would mind if we did some kind of honorable mentions, if I did a couple, like, releases that I'm not going to talk about, but uh, I, I still think are yeah. worth checking out. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, and a couple of honorable mentions. Um, one of the bands I'm going to talk about is uh, King Gizzard and the Wizard Lizard, and they released <laughs> yep. two albums within the past month. They've released three or, albums this three month. albums this month. It was like Laminated is... Jeans, the Ice Mushrooms Death one, and then another one yeah. that they just put out. And I was like, "What the fuck and are I'm, these guys I'm doing? doing? Like, I'm how doing, are they uh, putting out so much?" I'm doing an Ice Mushrooms Death uh, Lava, but yeah. uh, both of the other albums are worth listening to. Um, I want to throw out uh, Soul Sold Separately by Freddie Gibbs. Freddie Gibbs is, you know, I think, feel mm-hmm. like he's 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 kind of in that where we talk about Doom, kind of the biggest of the underground spot right now. Yeah, I feel like, I, feel like I, have a, I had a friend Gibbs. who I used to work with at Trader Joe's who was constantly trying to get me to listen to Pinata. It was like his favorite album. Pinata is, is a true classic. I never got into um, it. Yeah. Pinata is a true classic, madly produced. Um, I mean, that guy shows up on a lot of classics, so I'll shout out. I, I picked a hip hop album for one of my three listens, but I want to shout out Soul Sold separately for Freddie Gibbs for, um, really, uh, high level elevated coke rap. That's Freddie Gibbs. That's what I'll give you. Um, I also want to shout out, uh, in hip hop releases, I'm not going to get to, Open Mike Eagle had a release. Open Mike oh, yeah. Eagle is a California um, kind I like of. I, I, I call him nerd rap. I definitely call yeah, him nerd rap. Nerdcore. Nerdcore. Uh, he was in Hellfire Club with a, a real trio of nerdcore rappers uh, who I really <laughs> liked of a uh, bus driver, um, Open Mike Eagle, and Milo, who now raps under R.A.P. Ferriera. Uh, Milo 
R.I.P. Ferriero is still my favorite of those, the one I follow most closely, but I liked all of those three guys in Hellfire Club. And uh, Open Mike Eagle had a project um, that is... It was a, a funny name. Worth, it was like Automatic System with A tape called Component System with yep. the Auto Reverse. And uh, his, his album before that was uh, Anime Trauma and Divorce. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a really funny album. Um, I was really so into... Yeah, um. Uh, Dark Comedy is that that was one from a couple years ago. That that was like when I first picked him up, and I I really liked some of his yeah. um stuff. His his like I check out. Uh, really, I would check out cool. unapolog unapologetic art rap from him. Is I think his best work. That's a vinyl I have. I think uh, Vinyl Me Please did a. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. He was one uh, of their monthly sweet uh, hip hop releases, and he's got the sweet pressing for them. Uh, unapologetic art rap, and uh, Chili's Return to the Dream Canteen. Um. <laughs> <laughs> their, uh, is it good? Have you listened to um, it? It's their best since Stadium Arcadium, and that is a backhanded compliment, but I mean it. The uh, It is their best album since uh, Stadium Arcadium. Interesting. So, I don't yeah, know if I have any... And, uh, any, of course... Uh, in, sorry, uh, I'm sorry, I keep to interrupt you. <laughs> sorry, in, uh, in, in Pop Queens, uh, The Loneliest Time by Carly Rae Jepsen and Midnight's by Taylor Swift, and... Uh, Carly Rae Jepsen album is a lot better. That is that is my take for today. Have you done Have you done a uh, listen through on the Taylor Swift? I I have. I I liked. Um, I'm I'm a sucker enough for the folk age. and like listen. Um, I'm not a Taylor Swift hater. I appreciate. Um, as Taylor Swift has been kind of the queen of pop music. I do not hate hearing her when I walk in a store or ride in an Uber. <laughs> I do not resent having to hear her the way I um, absolutely resent having to hear Ed Sheeran and would uh, delete his music <laughs> from the planet if I had the power and if I had the chance. Yeah, he's, he's, I, I do not care for his stuff either. Like, like I, I try not to be a snob. It's, it's hard. It's in my blood. But I try very hard not to be a snob. But uh, every time Shape of You came on anywhere, I, I actively resented it. And I actively thought, why does anyone like that? Uh, what I hear a Taylor Swift hit, I, I don't think that. I, I, I understand the appeal. Um, because I like folky Americana stuff, I liked her folky Americana stuff as far as it went. Uh, Midnight's is, is a return to pop, and it is uh, okay. Um, some point, yeah. uh, talking about a future guest, at some point we're going to have my sister on who's going to walk us through Taylor Swift, a big Swift. Oh, thing. I would love to. Um, I, I mean, I have like, I don't like her, like the early pop country stuff, the Romeo and Juliet and You Belong to Me and that kind of stuff. Like I, that is like sickeningly like sweet I love that. pop I love country it. I love that I don't, that. I love I don't that like shit. that at all. But that, I like, um, beat. I like like the red and 1989 era stuff pretty, pretty good. I think that those yeah. are good, like pop, you know, radio pop songs. I just uh, Carly Rae Jepsen. She's she's more in the dance pop lane. I think she's having fun. I think she knows exactly what she is and what she's doing. Um, you know, she's she's kind of more on a Robin vibe, and uh, I appreciate her. Uh, Carly Rae Jepsen, I appreciate you. I will, I will, I will throw you on. Um, so yeah, that's that's some uh, that is some honorable mentions for me. Just some things I was listening to this month. Some new releases that I don't think I'm gonna get to. Yeah, I have like one, maybe or two of honorable yeah, mentions. It is, is, um, it is. the uh, <clears throat> the follow up to my my number two album, which one? So I I've been going back recently. 
this like yesterday when I was walking around and I listened to our 2021 albums yeah. um, list because I was like, oh, it's like almost a year old. Like, how much does this yeah. hold up? Spoiler alert. For me, not well. I have not like you. You most suspected of the ones on that. There, you you suspected that some of these albums were not going to. Uh, yeah, and I think the fu- like week. one of the funnier ones to me is I put dry cleaning at number two. Um, the yeah. sort of which is like that post punk spoken word. They do stump work, and I've been listening to it, and I like it. I think it is like virtually almost ex- like it's nearly indistinguishable to me in terms of which one I like better from the first. They they strike me as being very similar. I think this one is like. A little bit. She she uh, Florence Shaw does a little bit more like singing on it and kind of like not yeah. like it's not even really singing as much as just kind of like humming or like tuneful speaking. I guess in a not, way that not is like quite just the kind of spoken. It's not quite the dry walking yeah. around. Um, and I really like like there's a song called Gary Ashby that's about like a family tortoise going missing that I think is very I don't. It's just like weird. I don't know Englishisms of just like strange things that that are kind of like daily observational stuff. Um. And uh, I'm enjoying it. I think it is about the same as the first one. And I think, like, taken together, I like what they're doing. But I I do think that it's not, like, blowing me away or anything. Um, So that's Stump Work by Dry Cleaning. And then the other one that I've really uh, been into but I'm not going to talk about today is this band called Always with two Vs. Always. Instead of the Yeah, I saw that pop up. I, I I didn't get around to listening to that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, uh. This the album is called Blue Rev, and I just I'm gonna share my screen real quick just to play you like one track of one song and tell me uh, what band do you does it remind you of? Because it it is so funny to me how on the nose this is. Um, <laughs> okay, and, and and I like it. It's not it's not that it's um it's not that I think it's bad at all. It's just like the the influence is very funny. So this is a this is a bit of the song. Like that is a Smith song. Like yeah, that is hundred percent a Smith song. It is. I mean, even down to like the pop pop, like drums in the background, and yeah. like it's just it just is a Smith song. And it was so funny to me. And I was listening to it, and I was just like, "Holy shit, they are they are fucking this charming man in the shit out of this song." And like it's it's very <laughs> funny. I mean, some of I the mean, other pieces of that album are like are more like um like shoegazy kind of stuff. It's kind of okay. like this big encapsulation. Yeah, I, I, but, was, um, I was I was gonna say like a little bit of a little bit of um. A little bit of Joy Division on that. Yeah, or, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, they yeah, always, right, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. It just, it captures a lot of different indie kind of uh, sounds, so. Yeah, and I I, I, I always, the, the, there's a jingle jangle that always reminds me of real estate. I feel like real estate just, <laughs> like, really, like, perfected a certain kind of indie jingle jangle, and I, I was hearing a little bit of that. Um, well, would you like to start with the Ox, or would you like me to start? I mean, oh, whichever I mean, one is, is good for you. All right, I'll, I'll share the screen. I'll share the screen. Please, share the screen. All right, well, my first album I'm going to throw off the ox is Quiet the Room by new indie darling uh, Helen Ballantyne, a.k.a. Skull Crusher. Will, are you what aware of Miss Ballantyne, <laughs> a.k.a. Skull Crusher? I am not. No, I mean, this definitely fits with, uh, I was, like I said, I was going back through our 2021 and the 
the number of times we said "sad girl sophistopop" was was high, and you so know this I'm I'm, I you haven't heard this, it. and I I don't know what it is, but I feel as though I'm going to it will align with my understanding of what you like based on the picture of her and yes, the name Skullcrusher. You, you, you're seeing a picture of her. <laughs> she she looks <laughs> she looks sad and sophisticated, and she may or may not be making uh indie pop. Uh, but th- this is more <laughs> indie folk than indie pop, so this okay, is less. Okay. Um, this is less in the uh, Japanese breakfast lane than in the yeah, uh, boy yeah. genius lane, where for the past couple of years, the, the sad ladies of boy genius have been, yeah, especially Phoebe Bridgers, Phoebe Bridgers who, yeah. um, to my old man understanding, has made it big on TikTok uh, and is hmm. therefore in with the Zoomers now. Um, as it, they've, they've been the leading ladies of indie folk for the past couple of years, but Skull Crusher is a coming... For that crown, uh, as always, I will plug that uh, my favorite of the Boy Genius ladies is Julian Baker, because she is the smallest and the saddest of three pretty small and three pretty sad ladies. Um, <laughs> Those are I the saw, criteria for... Yes, you must be I, I, under I, this height and under over this depression to ride this ride. I, I, I saw her in the, at the variety, and I was like, wow. She, she, is, she is like... It's, it's like she's when you, so small, so sad. It's, it's like when you see our friend Courtney, and you're like, "Wow, I, it's easy to forget how small you actually are." Um, anyway, so yes, she, uh, New York born and raised. She has uh, only one EP, and uh, this is her first full length out. Um, she started cool. getting some buzz um, around some singles. Uh, she did a, a cover of an outtake uh, lift from uh, OK Computer. And um, she recorded a song for Nick Drake back in 2021. But uh, her debut just released on October 14th. And it is um, it, it is pretty straightforward indie folk. My The main thing that sets it apart is one of my criticisms of it is that she over relies a little bit on kind of a washed out effect that I think is a little bit overused and I think makes the, the music a little bit less clear and a little bit less interesting but you mean like a it's like a like a production technique or yeah like a, a like production a technique see I'll, I'll play oh, a little bit i'll just play a little bit of a, the end of a building a swing So you hear kind of the the female vocals. They're 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 treated to be kind of walked washed out and layered in the background. Um, that's not my favorite effect, but the instrumentation on this album really pulls me in because it's it's a mix of two things I really like. There is a lot of lush folk instrumentation. There's a lot of instrumental tracks on Quiet the Room, which some some reviews I was reading listed that as a negative but they really make it for me because some of the instrumental tracks are really straightforward lovely 
guitar, piano, fiddle, folk instrumentation, and some have an ambient edge to them. Some have some drone sounds. On that track, you could hear that kind of whirring and clicking that was kind of coming in. Yeah, there's like there's like tape hiss and and uh, machine yeah, noise in there. So that's th cool. So it's 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 a lush folk album with enough ambient drony edge to make it interesting for me, and it's a potent uh, combination. I don't. I don't find her to be the lyricist or the storyteller that I find like a Julian Baker or like, uh, you know, Sam Beam of Iron and Wine, who's for me the kind of king of this uh, sad folk music or, you know, mountain goats or anything like that. But um, yeah, it's, 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 it's different enough that I really enjoyed it. A little bit of that glitch into my indie folk, please and thank you. I will, I will, I will take it. <laughs> I really um, like that. That was cool. Right. It it reminds me of um. There's a there's an artist that I've always like wanted to get into, but I've had like kept a little bit of a distance called a uh, grouper. I think her name is like Liz something, and uh, I forget what her last name is. But she does. It's kind of like the back half, like a lot of like the tape noise and ambient drone stuff, like is more prominent. And I this seems like something. I added this to my to my to listen uh, list because this seems like kind of it's taking pieces of that and then turning it into more digestible folk indie folk songwriting so like that's a cool mix um i yeah. like it i like if especially like I, i'm i'm down for the kind of like the more treated ambient wash um droney uh tape stuff so that that seems like that might be a cool place for yeah it was it was it was even a little loveless at times <laughs> i was listening to it and i was like this will this is probably will probably be a plus for Will, it is a plus. This, it is a plus for me. <laughs> this very washed out female vocal. Will, Will's like, um, listen, Paul. If I have to listen to female vocals, you're really going to need to wash them out. You really, you're gonna have box. to cover it up with you're gonna, something. You're gonna, have, you're gonna have to put it really back in the mix. Throw a lot of reverb on there. Just anything, um, please. Man, if if we ever get popular, we really can't uh, keep indulging in this. <laughs> this is not a good running joke. Um, all right, Will. So that is Skull Crusher. Quiet the room. For me, and it's, you know, 41 minutes. Great length for an album. Love it. Right there. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to pass you the ox, Will. Thank you, my friend. I, I have you beat because my first album that I'm talking about is only 31 minutes. Whoa. <laughs> so I, I know. I know. I love Take that, it. Atheist. Tight. <laughs> what the fuck check, is home? Check, checkmate, atheist. Checkmate, atheist. Yeah, so the first one, I, the first album I wanted to talk about is uh, the album Guitar Music by a band called Courting. Um, that it's it's interesting because like <laughs> how fast music moves. That these guys are like black country new road disciples. Like yeah, I know, right? Like, that's a, so a the, new... the the black midi disciples already have disciples. Yeah, have already happened, and I mean, like that's weird for me to say because, like, I still think of them as contemporary artists. But like, you know, both of those bands have been putting out things since like 2018 or so, and that, I mean, that's four years ago. So it yeah. makes sense that like, you know, young kind of moving uh, uh, indie music scene is 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 kind of picking up stuff. So anyway, they are courting is this band that is definitely within the same kind of realm as the like i think uh, like the windmill scene is what i've heard it called is the, the post-punk yes um british uh like uk kind of revival stuff mostly, that's going on right now mostly referring to black midi bcnr and squid are yeah. like the, the three yeah, yeah, big yeah, yeah, ones yeah. people mean when they when they say the windmill scene yeah because i think the windmill is like a is like a venue is that what it is yeah. that it was like that yeah. they kind of all came up around um so anyway squid, this, almost, this... squid almost made it on my list last year i think i liked the squid album more than you did 
Oh yeah, I did. I tr- I've tried to go back and listen to it um, again. I think it, it's like too much dance punk for me, and not enough. I, whatever it is, I just it doesn't do it for me because they have a live thing like from the basement, like YouTube yeah. set that has that people have been really liking as well. But it's just it's really not my thing. But anyway, um, th- this is not that. This is a band called Cording, and they to me like are somewhere between a sort of they have some of the more like not ants from up there, but more of like the um for the first time kind of like post-punky edge of um of bcnr but they also kind of dive into like a glitchy bit of like kind of almost electro punk which reminds me of like early lcd sound system or kind of like the new york like um sort of like dancey electro punk scene from the um like early aughts and but the song that i'm going to play is called jumper and i really enjoyed this song a lot because it's kind of like a a brit pop slash baggy influence song like if okay. you have ever been into um can you define like the Stone term Roses. baggy for our listeners but yeah totally so like, not for me someone who understands <laughs> that term and what you mean by it that that terminology so baggy i, was I know i know but our listeners might not know out of um out of what they called like madchester which was like late 80s kind of like after the smiths and like the defining band from it i think is like stone roses the stone roses yeah. and like um primal scream i think is the one the other one um and basically it's kind of like this mix of like jangly indie but with kind of like danceable club beat stuff to it and okay. it kind of like a little kind of, kind of like uh, it's kind of like I, I know like stone roses and and that scene for example is like music to like kind of like do ecstasy and go see like kind right. of like indie like like dance your face off and and they they all wore like very baggy clothes which is where like the baggy like okay. scene comes from what if um, you wanted to listen so, to the Smiths, but also take ecstasy? And yes, make but out? but also like take ecstasy and kind of dance a little more and less and yeah. not be as sad. It would be kind of like that. <laughs> and so this 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 song that I'm playing is Jumper, and it is it's a little bit not exactly the same as all this whole album. I like this whole album a lot, and some of it is more of kind of like the straighter, um, forward kind of post punk and glitch stuff. This is more like a Brit pop slash baggy combo thing. Um, so I'm just going to play a bit of it because it's it's this has been my like heavy rotation this last year or this last month rather. Um, so this is Jumper by Cording. So that's the vibe. Why have you um, not why have you not put me onto this earlier? I've oh, sent yeah. you this band three times and you keep not <laughs> listening to it. Because I, I, you, I'm gonna I'm gonna check our Discord. I don't think you've sent me this band three times. I've sent you Uncanny Valley Forever tw- So because Uncanny Valley Forever, the next song, okay. literally is the exact same guitar riff oh, as Oh right. Yeah, okay. It's, yeah. This is this yeah. I'm I'm cutting this because this is on me. <laughs> um <laughs> this one's on so, me. So this is uh I I really love that song and I've been really yeah. like it's been re- on repeat for me it's just like and it has the kind of like sly you know Gen Z like lyricalisms of it there's like a reference later in that song about like how everybody's on letterbox and all this stuff and like <laughs> just like very the stuff I don't you know. worry is going to get very dated very fast yes, exactly it, but it's in there and and change. obviously like jumper you growing up in the UK you know that's a that's for um like yeah. uh, what a like a sweatshirt right that's the 
or like a coat. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, a, a, yes, a, a jumper is a sweater in the UK. Yeah. And so I don't are know. We, are we going to do I, our I, own extended bit about uh, how it's weird that I grew up in the UK or is that just going to kind of. No, have we done that before? Oh, no, no, never, never. Yeah, so I really. I like, and he knows what jumpers are. And I didn't until the end of the song when he says, I always. You've never heard jump. I, I, I mean, like. Jumper. You watched Harry Potter. No, I've heard. I've. I, yes. I know what it is. Yeah, I've heard jumper before. Um, your pants for for underwear, very strange. Yes. Um. So uh, anyway, I really like this direction. I hope like this album is weird to me because like I know it will be on my top ten list because I like about half the songs like a lot, a lot, and then there's two or three songs on there that are kind of like eh to me. But if they go this direction, like this kind of Britpop revival baggy thing, like I would be so happy because I. This really like hits me in in that yeah, kind of the same that, way that like a, a blur pulp thing from the '90s does. Um, that I really enjoyed. What's your thoughts? That that really harkens to an extremely listenable. I feeling like mid aughts Britpop. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> like I'm almost thinking like Verve and like Hoop is like I mean yeah, you know yeah. like an extremely listenable like mid aughts kind of like mini British invasion of these like British indie bands that just kind of made like big radio hits and were yeah that kind of Britpop revival thing yeah Britpop like extremely listenable um yeah I mean like you know extremely listenable Britpop with a bit of edge I mean there was there was a little bit of guitar freak out on like the very very end there um yeah is there there more weirdness elsewhere on this album or is it leading more yes there is some of the some of the other song I can play a bit if you want but some of the other um like pieces of it are have a little bit more of like kind of a glitchy um or like a little bit more of a kind of, like I said, kind of like the buildup of sunglasses, like that harder edge kind of like, um, you know, chunkier post-punk stuff. So it's not all, I would say that's like probably the most listenable part of the album, but it's not totally unrepresentative of the, of the vibe of the whole thing. Um, and for me personally, this is like the song that I resonate with the most that I would love to see um, them push a little bit more into yeah. that realm. Well, I really enjoyed that, and maybe uh, I will finally go check out this band that you have indeed been trying to get me to listen to since. <laughs> yeah, because there was like a period of time in early October where they were on my constant. Like, I must have listened to right. the, like this song "Jumper" like forty times just while I was walking around. It's just such a such a jammy, uh, catchy song. Um, yeah, so that's "Courting with a Guitar Music" is the album from. I think it technically came out at the very end of September, but it was, you know, it's all the same sort of. If if it was after our last record, we're just going to like, we're yeah, just going to we'll count, count it. It's like what's been in the last month. Um. All right. Well, Will, may I have that auxiliary cable, please? My friend, take it when you want. All right. Well, um, for my next two albums, I'd like to appreciate Ooh. some hard workers. Some grinders, if you will. The Grussel? Some some people who are on that Grussel, who are on that grind, who have that Sigma male grind set that you oh, really need. Oh, we're on the Sigma to... the Sigma male set. We're on the... <laughs> I wake up at nine o'clock p.m. Went wow. to bed at seven to get it. Yeah, to get on to that. Get grind. A, a head start on because that's when the West Coast goes to sleep. So I can have, exactly. I can have them, you know. So you can laugh. That's when they get off of work. I like to text my friends on the West Coast right as they're about to go to sleep that I just yep. woke up and I'm on my grind. Um, yep. Well, I am not. Uh, I am a very lazy man. <laughs> but a hardworking man is Billy Woods. 
Uh, it, listeners might remember he is one half of the rap duo uh, Arm and Hammer, whose album Haram was on my top yeah. ten last um, last year. And listeners also might remember that I mentioned his album Athiopes earlier this mm-hmm. year. That's right, earlier this year. He is back again with his second release this year. I mean, it's album... no King Gizzard, but I guess it's all right. It's I not, mean, it's not well, free a month or whatever. Well, I'm gonna get. I'm literally just gonna get there. <laughs> <laughs> literally if you just chill the fuck out i'm gonna get there no i have to do jokes fast <laughs> so they're only funny if they're fast um church is billy wood's second album this year his first album atheops got a ton of buzz a um a really uh, wide-ranging album with a ton of thoughts extremely lyrical church is a more a personal album, I would say. It's it's very tight. It's 36 minutes, not all the way down to 31, mm-hmm. but still a tight 36 minutes. You um, love a sub 40. You love to see it. You love to see it. And uh, you know, we we know the pattern. It's 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 a parody of ourselves at this point, but what I like is that East Coast hip hop. <laughs> you know, tight production, uh, you know, a little bit of soul, a little bit of glitch, but nothing that gets in the way. And just some, uh, no big hooks, just bars after bars after bars. And that's what Mr. Woods is delivering to us. Um, Paul, is this a, is this a pub crawl? Cause it's just bars after bars after <laughs> bars, my man. That's a little UK wow. humor for, for the lads. A little, little UK humor for the lads. We're <laughs> Bit big cheeky one for the lads. For when we're big in the UK. Uh, Billy Woods born in Washington, DC. Um, unsurprisingly, uh, m- Mother was an English literature professor from Jamaica. Father was a PhD Marxist uh, writer from Zimbabwe who was active in Zimbabwe's uh, War of Liberation and then a member of the government for a little bit. Uh, I I keep discovering that I'm into deeply Marxist uh, (laughs) rappers lately. Stay cool. I don't think that's on accident. Um, But so... Deeply multicultural, deeply political, been rapping since, uh, been writing bars since the late 90s. Um, he has the, um, he has what I like about, well, I like this quote enough that I was, I wish it was from someone of more consequence. Uh, apologies to, <laughs> uh, co- apologies to comedian John Hodgman, but he said, uh, you don't like Judge Judge Hodgman? I love John John Hodgman. That's a podcast I like very much, actually. But he he has said that uh, specificity is the soul of narrative, and I like that quote so much. I wish that like Marcus Aurelius said it, but comedian Judge <laughs> John Hodgman said it, and it's something I think about a lot when I listen to hip hop. Uh, when I listen to folk music, I think it's what makes Mountain Goats great, and I think it's what makes Billy Woods great. Is that he has an eye for specific details that can really put you in the scene mm-hmm. and that's much more his strength than a doom style rhyme. scattershot sort of thing. yeah exactly he's, he's not surrealist scattershot there's a little bit of surrealism but mostly he's very rooted in the details and he has the east coast black thought ghost face ability to say a simple phrase in such a way that it imparts it with an attitude. And for Woods, I think a regret that can really elevate uh, a simple pronouncement. So I'm going to play a little bit of all jokes aside from, from Billy Woods and his new album church. 
Sorry, I lied. I'm going to play a little bit from Pollo Rico. <laughs> this thing was broke from the jump. No point going back and forth over who did what. My character arc rolling loud to Shakespeare in the park. You get stabbed, stagger off in the dark. I'm winking in the wings, understudy every part. I lied because I loved her. I never crossed my heart. Show my face but left right when it started to start. A man apart, drink alone, pack bars, stack and turn to standy and man at arms. A little gas, crash dummies flying out the cars. Hospital vending machine, detours to Cheetos. New Year's Eve, I snuck in the Clico. Pollo Rico, you can fries. Louis the 14th in a vape, you hit it twice. Yeah, that's a little bit of Puerto Rico. You know, I think on we were talking about Black Thoughts on a recent episode, and you know, I talked about the ways he could just with the power of his voice turn a phrase. And I think Billy Woods is just perfecting the ability to say certain words um, in, in a way that that makes them hit very hard. And the the last three songs on this album are a one two three punch that they're really elevated for me from a, a good album to a great album um they all seem to revolve around some kind of hospital visit some kind of tough time and hmm. yeah i i have i have been in terrible places with a vending machine uh the the jail in the decab county jail where i kind of had my first job I got so accustomed to the vending machine because I had to spend so much time waiting for them to bring my clients to me. And so it's a very evocative detail of knowing it, being somewhere you hate being and knowing exactly which uh, vending machine numbers and letters are the snack that is going to kind of get you through something horrible. And it, it's, it's just an example of, of the little details that Billy Woods can sprinkle through this record Produced by Messiah Music, I really like the production. It's a lot of smaller, moodier phrases that kind of go in and out. Some soul, some more glitchy. The song Fever Grass has a bit of a glitchier production, but it's it's, it's never overwhelming, and it's usually just mournful little phrases looped behind whatever uh, Billy Woods is doing. And so I really like this album. I don't think it's quite as good as Aethiopes, but I I believe that one of these will will be on my end of year list. You know, just yeah, I depend like the, um, which one grows on me more. I like the production on that, like the kind of looks like a church organ under yeah. drone kind of thing with. So yeah, stuff going on. Yeah, I, I've been I, both of these have been on my to listen list just because they've both been really well received, um, and both in the same year. But I just haven't gotten around to them yet. It's it's great to watch someone emerge, and I feel like that's one of the pleasures we've taken since we started doing this silly thing of watching exciting new artists emerge, watching Black Country New Road come out, and in, in the rap world, I think Billy Woods is emerging to be a really important East Coast rapper, and there's always that kind of holding your breath for me where when someone starts putting out some really good projects, wondering if they're going to keep going. <laughs> will they eventually end up being a raging anti-Semite? It's hard to know. <laughs> Where life will take you, it's hard, it's hard to predict sometimes, you know? It is. I... Will, yes. will Elon Musk eventually have to buy Twitter to unban you? You know, it's one of those things. I, um... 
I don't think you could have guessed from graduation Kanye that we could have yeah, gotten Yeah, that's here. where we were going to be. <laughs> I think you could have guessed from beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy Kanye that yeah, we could have yeah. gotten here. I think the signs, the signs have been there for, for a while. Um, and it's, uh, it is, it is, it, it makes me really sad and it's, it's not forgivable and it's not condonable. And, uh, I, I wish he weren't doing it, but, uh. Mr. Kanye West, you uh, you have a duty to get some help, sir. I know you're listening. I know we have the platform to reach you. I hope that Kanye just like does like a like twit longer about how dog shit of our podcast is. <laughs> I hope Kanye yeah, we could get to some podcast exposure. episodes by Spotify sorted by new, yeah. and he just gets to just us. to find people to talk about him and shit on them on Twitter. That'd be amazing. I really understood how George Floyd felt when that podcast with five listeners was bragging <laughs> on me. Oh, God, yeah, fuck you. Um, all right, well, I'm going to pass it back to you, buddy. Thank you. Um, my next pick is from the album uh, Cherry. Okay. It is an artist called Daphne. Um, I think Daphne is a lovely is, name. I, I never meet nice enough name. people called Daphne. I don't think I've ever met somebody. I'm not sure I've Daphne. ever met anyone called Daphne. Yeah. I mean, just from the, just the mystery team, Daphne. That's the only that's the only Daphne I'm familiar with. The well known um, mystery this team. That's what they call themselves. The, the Scooby Doo mystery team. Everybody knows that. <laughs> I don't know. The mystery machine. The mystery team. You know, it makes sense. Um, so this is the side, like, alter project of um Dan's Daniel Snaith, who yeah. is Caribou. I don't know if you've ever listened to. I don't. I'm, I'm 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 familiar with Caribou. Okay. I also am slightly familiar, but I, I I can't say that I ever like was really into him, but I think I think of it as like contemporaneous to like the indie tronica of our kind of like renaissance of our college um time, like twenty kind of tens, early twenty tens. Um and the thing I know most about him is he like there's there was a pl- a playlist floating around a couple years ago that was like Caribou's one thousand best songs or whatever, and there were a lot of bangers on that that he like introduced me to that I hadn't known about before 1, so like, this guy, songs? i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure that's what it was it was like a because like he does a lot of dj like list lists uh sort of stuff and i'm oh, pretty sure it was these are not songs all songs he's recorded oh no 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 okay that's what he's worth no 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 a thousand best songs recorded by caribou i i did i did a poor i did a poor job explaining that no he curated a list that was like 1000 like important songs that caribou thinks you should hear kind of thing and there were songs on there that I really, um, that I, I'm glad it did here. Um, and so ch- this album, Cherry by Daphne, is his more like kind of straightforward, like deep house kind of techno um, persona. It's not really like an Indietronica thing. So I'm going to play a bit of the opening track, Arrow. Um, I don't know why. I'm not like particularly well versed in this kind of music, but for whatever reason, this album has really um, resonated with me. So this is a bit of Arrow from Daphne off the album, Cherry.
so a oh, bit that, of a, that is not a sound I associate with your taste, Will. It's not a sound I associate with my taste either. And I kind of just got onto it from, I think Pitchfork maybe gave it a pretty good review. And so I got onto it and it, 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 what it kind of gives me is like the selected ambient works without the ambient part. It, kind right. of, it has like just, that kind of like early works. techno. Yeah, just works. So it's like, it has what I, what I enjoy about like kind of the sound of like that kind of earlier like analog, um, like techno 80s stuff, but it's obviously not as you know, ambient and uh, washed out. It's more kind of like straight ahead house music. And I saw, I found a really funny thing on Rachel Music. Uh, I was looking at the the album page because it doesn't have like crazy good reviews or anything. And one of the like comments underneath it was like, "This is house music for soft boys." And I was like, <laughs> "Fuck, that's why I like it." <laughs> Gone out. I was like, he, "He's Gone so out. right. He's so right." Yeah. And so like the whole album is is like this. It's like it doesn't you know change massively, and the songs are not like they don't have huge dynamic shifts or whatever, but I don't know, maybe just because I've been like walking more or riding the train or something like that, but I've just really found it to be very like soothing and comforting. And it has like the right level of kind of slightly laid back, not like super heavy, punchy house stuff, but like with a nice kind of drivingness to it. I, I don't I, I don't know much about the genre, so like kind of like you were saying with jazz, like for all I know, this could be like the fucking Kenny G of deep house music. I've, I've no fucking idea. So like, <laughs> right. It, you could, you could mention like, this to I someone in the genre and they would be like, yeah. Oh, oh, disgusting. But for me, for whatever reason, this one, uh, connected with me. I don't know if you, do you have any kind of, uh, in that yeah, like, I, knowledge in that space more than no, I do. I'm not, sure. I, I'm, I'm not a big, uh, I'm not a big dance music guy. Um, my my no, brother really either but my my brother's a big EDM guy and that's not exactly what this is but you know when I was I was with my family recently and kind of saying like oh yeah I do a podcast and like you do a what and like oh don't worry no one listens to it discussing I was like how you know uh my sister was was discussing being on for Taylor Swift and I was like well yeah we'll get my brother on for some deep house because I know nothing I feel like that's where you and I would just be completely oh, out yeah. of our depth Yes, um, completely and totally. So, like I said, this may be terrible. So, if anybody is like a big deep house connoisseur and can tell me why I should be listening to something else and what it should be, please, I would love to know. But for for the moment, uh, I really like this. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like there's there's such a change in attitude of as a young man when I no need to feel down. I was a, as a young man as a young man, you know, back when I was thirty. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I feel like when you're a teen and you, you don't understand a genre, it's easy to have a defensiveness response of saying, oh, I don't like that. You know, it, it's all bad yeah. and that's and, and to dismiss it all um, just because you don't understand it and because it is daunting to think of getting into something and just look at everything and say, well, I don't I don't fuck with that generally. Um, and while you're still in your ignorance of. I talked about getting into jazz recently and there was a long time where I really couldn't have explained to you the difference between John Coltrane <laughs> and Kenny G. Um, yeah. And I feel like we both think it is one of the most fun things you can do in life to go from not knowing anything about a genre to being able to explain the difference between bop and hard bop and free jazz and spiritual jazz and cool jazz and you know elevator music 100 percent. it's like such a fun like that moment when you are 
fresh enough to realize that you like something but don't know why or what yes, like, that is or like have yes. enough experience to kind of be like cynical about what's good and what's not is such a fun place to be with with art and, and uh, i feel like that's where i am with apparently with deep house yeah. at the moment and there's and there's no greater i mean honestly one of my greatest joys of this entire past year has been going from a place where i couldn't have told you anything about jazz at all to discovering that a love supreme exists and how like happy it <laughs> yeah, makes right. me and how good it is. And I know there are things in genres that I don't, that I haven't explored that, that are that I mean, maybe not that amazing. I mean, like it's hard to be more amazing than love supreme. Yeah. Love, but, yeah, love supreme is pretty you know, there, there are things in country and there are things in EDM that are that amazing that I've just never delved into. And yeah, there are, yeah intricacies i mean name a name a sub name a genre with more subgenres than i mean dance music i mean it, it's it's an incredible labyrinth and i think that's part of what makes it so uh intimidating um so yeah i i i hope this uh is the start of a journey for you will i, I don't think i'm on the start of my dance music journey but if you are i'm very <laughs> I'm, excited i don't for you. i don't know that i am either but like <laughs> it I, I i for at least for this i've enjoyed it and it made me want to seek out a little bit more stuff. So maybe I'll come back and, and be a uh, just a fucking acid head house kid at some point, but I wouldn't count if, on it. If Will ever signs on to the Zoom with some glow sticks, I'll let the list <laughs> All right. So that is, that is uh, Daphne. Daphne, Cher yeah. D-A-P-H-N-I. Cherry by Daphne. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I'm going to take that aux cable back. Please do. Um... To, to talk about some people on the grind set, Will. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I got to spend some time with my future brother-in-law uh, over the weekend, someone who's, who's very dear to me. Uh, he's Australian. And, oh, interesting. Uh, we, were, we, we were having a, a very lovely conversation, and uh, I accidentally said mate, and he stopped dead. And, and yeah, looked at me with gross. cold with cold fury in his oh. eyes and said, "You can't, you can't say that." Have yes. I? Okay, I have. I probably have not told you this, but genuinely, something that makes me like cringe harder than anything is people saying "mate" who are not uh, like UK. Yeah, I, uh, I was. It, uh, I was. I. Oh man. And we we were talking. Like, he's like, you, actually, you know. no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's not even mate. It's bloody. When somebody says okay, like when bloody, which is a straight bloody, American, right. when, when the, just a straight American accent, I just cannot. I cannot deal with that. I just don't like it. He's, you know, anyone from the Commonwealth can say it. Uh, almost yep. anyone who speaks English as a second language can say it. Americans just can't say it. <laughs> you just can't, can't do it. Can't, uh, you can't fuck with it. It just sounds weird. I agree. Um, but to, to talk about some people on the grind set, um, <laughs> I assumed that these guys had been around since the 80s. I just saw their discography. <laughs> 26 albums. And I assumed they were a band who had been recording things. For decades now, uh, this band was formed in 2010, mm -hmm. and this is King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, the hardest working, uh, psych, prog, chame rock chameleon Australians. Will do you have do you have any uh, familiarity with this band? Very slight. Um, I mean, I know that they are. I, I'm aware of them by reputation of being prolific and genre hopping. Um, I listened to Ominum Gatherum from right. earlier this year because um, that was kind of like 
it got like a bunch of, and then I think the other big one that people liked was like Nonagon Infinity, maybe from a couple years ago. Um, and I've listened to them like once through, and nothing really clicked with me. I did. I have listened to this album that you're about to talk about just like once through, but I, I am aware from a distance that they are interesting, but I am, have not taken the plunge into what they are because it seems like a whole lot to it take. It is. In. They formed in. Uh, they released their first album in 2012. Over the past 10 years, they have released 23 studio albums. A, a, a truly blistering pace. And on in this year alone, they have released three full-length albums and two smaller projects. And yeah. that is just harder than most bands work. And they seem to just have a... It makes a little bit of sense in the context that they're a very jammy band and they seem to just mm-hmm. kind of make music and throw it out there, which which I respect. Um, they, they are genre hopping. Sometimes they're a little closer to metal. Sometimes they're a little closer to psych. Sometimes they sound more... Sometimes they're a little more jammy in general. But I'm just going to play a little bit of the first song mycelium off of the album ice death planets lungs mushrooms and lava which i just found incredibly charming It's it's sometimes we talk about albums where it is hard to pick any snippets that exemplifies how the album sounds. And this is very much one of those. The compositions change. The sound changes three or four times over the course of a seven to ten minute song. It's a seven song hour long album. It is meandering. It is overstuffed, but it is it is fun it is well done. The styles they pick from are executed well, and I like the sounds on it. Uh, Will, that was kind of a, I don't know, that was kind of like a, I don't know, almost like a 60s, 70s psych jam yeah. on there. How did you feel about that? I, I like this record. I, like I said, I've listened to it once through, and I think like I, they are a band that I more like respect the hell out of right. the fact that they put out so much and that it is, you know, consistently people find it interesting and like than then somebody that I like deeply dig into but that yeah that kind of has like a like a symphonic kind of folk prog sort of thing maybe yeah. like maybe like a Jethro Tully kind of like flutey uh, kind of vibe to it and I know it changes a lot throughout the yeah, album let, let, I think let me just I, let me just hit yeah, one more it. little snippet because it's just to show like how different it gets <laughs> Yeah. 
So yeah, that's almost a, a classic guitar shredding proggy section on another song, uh, Iron Lung, that has three or four songs in it. Oh, sorry, uh, uh, three or four different compositional styles in it. Yeah, who's the main guy? Stu something is like the people. The like main Stu. guy is... Stu something or other, I don't know, but he's like, he's pretty liked amongst kind of like, he does like a lot of like interesting microtonal guitar stuff and and people really um like him a lot. Um, I don't know what his name is outside of Stu, <laughs> but but I know I think he's like the the sort of the principal, um, Stu McKenzie. Oh, man, you, you got it before I did. <laughs> but yeah, um, Stu McKenzie, yeah, I mean, he's only he's... thirty-two. He's like the same age as us, and he's yeah, no, like, putting like, out. Like, he's been putting I, it out since he was I like assume, twenty. <laughs> yeah, I, I, both because of the, the the sound is a throwback sound, and they have so much output. What I when I looked at an album list and saw you know twenty-three proggy albums i was like oh this is a band from the 80s so, like good for them for keeping it up and it's like no these dudes are your age dude um i, I do think there's something too because like the same thing with uh, i've mentioned this before that they remind me of the ocs a little bit like and i think there's yeah. something to like the kind of the volume of stuff that makes it a little bit like interchangeable if you're being mm. kind disposable if you're not to me where yeah. like i but I kind of wonder, that's, like, that's two ways if, to say it. if more of a curation would, like, turn me on to them more because I would kind of know that there's, like, a a little bit of a yeah. filter going through it. And I'm almost, like, with... a little bit hazardous to, to kind of jump in and be like, oh, there's, like, fucking three albums just in one month. I'm like, oh, my God. It's tough because it's not just that they have a lot of albums. There's bands that have a ton of albums that you can still say, oh, start here. Is that they change so many styles that liking or disliking yeah, any one of their constant. albums is not a good clue as to whether you're going to like or dislike. Yeah, and that's kind of what's like I wouldn't albums. say frustrating to me, but like I'll right. finish I'll finish listening to Omnum Gatherum and I'm like, oh, whatever, that was okay. And then it's like three different albums come out this month, and I'm like, oh, like there's a yeah. chance that I could like or dislike all three or none of them, and I just yeah, don't know. Like it's like if, if someone so like different. Bruce Springsteen has a huge career and a ton of music. If someone doesn't like Born to Run, they probably don't like Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> like if if yeah, you don't like it Born is to emblematic Run, of his sound. If, if you don't like Born to Run, like I wouldn't recommend you. Like oh well, try Darkness at the Edge of Town. Like I don't think you would like yeah. that either. You know maybe you'd like Human Touch, but that's because that's or like Tunnel of Love, but that's because those are like his weird disco albums and those are his bad albums. <laughs> so like you just have bad taste in music. Um, but. I, I, but it's a possibility. You could have bad taste. We don't know. But I feel like, you know, like Bowie has an incredible career, but you, you could recommend someone a Bowie album. And if they didn't like that album, there's still a really good chance that there's other Bowie stuff that they might love. Mm. Um, I feel like there's two axes here of huge, huge catalog and a lot of different styles. And when you're high on both those axes, it can be really hard to know where to start. It because, is overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, because you can say, oh, start with Nautagon Infinity. It's kind of their most acclaimed album, but you might hate that and still really like this. So, but yeah, King Gizzard and the Wizard Lizard on the grind set uh, forever. Oh, they, they truly are. <laughs> um, and my back final... For the, I think this is the, fi yeah, this is the final uh, recent listen. Final recent. My final recent one is uh, a jazz record because okay. uh, it wouldn't be complete without uh, Sun Ra by without such a thing. This is the Sun Ra Orchestra. Um, the this is the new album that they put out that is titled. Let me find the actual thing. Uh, Living Sky. And um, have you? I don't 
I might have asked you this previously, but are, have you been into Sun Ra at all? Are you a, you a I I am holding right now a Sun Ra Liquidity, a, a vinyl I oh, picked yeah. up uh, at my local vinyl store recently. Record store. Yeah. Hey, your, uh, I like hey, the folks, cover of that one. It's all shiny. Su- support, your ro- support your local record store. Do it. They're, they're when, cool when, um, when Elon Musk buys Spotify and you can only listen to Kanye West, you're going to wish you had a local record store. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds ideal to me. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is the album that they put out this year, uh, which is Living Sky. And as you may or may not know, Sun Ra has, has done been dead for a while. Yeah, so Sun Ra has been dead for a while. Why is he still putting out music? Just, I know. So the Sun Ra Orchestra has been um, headquartered in Philly, actually, I think since like the mid-90s when Sun Ra passed away. And they've been led by this guy named uh, Marshall Allen. He is 98 years old right now. And he is the band leader on this Ooh. album. He is, yeah. And he, and like, not only is he the band leader, he's like really good still. Like, I mean, it's interesting, you know. Last that, is, year, yeah, that is a different Sanders. kind of, gr- that is a different kind of yeah, grind That style. is a grind set. That That is a, he is an old ass man blowing on that horn. And so he, um, he is kind of does like the more expressive, interesting solos on this. And I like, in general, I would construct Sun, Sun Ra's music as kind of being like more cosmic big band or like cosmic swing, that kind of thing, where it's a little bit more um, laid back and kind of like trading of phrases than something more like the, you know, Coltrane's or Miles Davis's, which are more like quartet to sextet kind of, um, right. you know, driving, driving stuff. So I want to play a little bit of the last track, which is Wish Upon a Star, which is their, you know, take on the kind of standard um, song that you would know from whatever. I mean, it's in what, Disney, Pinocchio, maybe? I don't even know what, which movie it's in. But um, I think, yeah, yeah this uh, is a bit of... Fuck, it's, Dumbo? Disney? The, it's gotta be, it's, One of those. It's got to be Pinocchio, right? I, that's what I think it is, but I might be misremembering. But I think it was like a standard before that. I don't know. I'm not sure. But this is, that, um, I got to check that Del Toro Pinocchio. I mean, when it comes out in December, you got yeah. an early access. You could, could hack the Netflix service directly. So this is uh, Wish Upon a Star, and you're going to hear a little bit of Marshall Allen's um, kind of expressive playing over the top of it, which is, which is really uh, hitting for me. So kind of different. I yeah, I like yeah, reserved different... is not the right word, but it's very lyrical. Right. It's not like those trumpet phrases are like easy listening, but it is it is very lis- lyrical and um, yeah. It sounds like I, I, conversational. I like... It sounds vocal, and it's really um. I love the expressiveness that he's getting from all those phrases without yeah. kind of playing a million notes. I I, I like when you have a really big. Uh, group to to draw the kind of yeah. conversations from and you have a really you know more than a quarter or a sextet a, a really big band to have people kind of step out from and to have yeah and really i think like lush, that, that that's the whole that really lush vibe background. of this 
yeah, is that it has like this really kind of like, um, I don't know, to me, like nostalgic evokes that kind of like nostalgic um, bygone kind of big band thing. But then over it is this, you know, kind of more lyrical um, sort of boundary pushing um, different solos and trading and playing. And I've really enjoyed this record a lot. Um, I, I, I was wary that it was going to kind of be like, you know, a legacy act of like, oh, Sun Ra's dead. And he's just like some people holding like holding on to this thing, but, you know, Marshall Allen is one of the original guys, and he's still fucking out there blowing at 98, and I think he made a fantastic album, like, as a leader of, of, of what's going on here, and um, the whole thing is, is, I definitely think, is worth checking out, and has um, really been a, a little, a nice little discovery, because I sort of wrote off the, the Sun Ross stuff as being like, well, he's passed, what's the point of listening to, you know, a bastardized version of something that's not here anymore, but um, it really came through for me, so I, I don't know if that's... Um, in your, I mean, obviously, if you have liquidity, it's it's in your wheelhouse. But I would recommend checking it out because uh, I think the whole album has a lot of cool pieces to it. Yeah, I I, I like it. Like like I said, I, I I really like the lush background for for the for the conversation to come out of with kind of the kind of a bigger band can get you. Um, but yeah, I I think I will check that out. I I, I did not know exactly what the relationship of the orchestra to was son i didn't really either until until this because they haven't put out a ton of albums like it's not like they've been you know cashing in on the name or doing that kind of thing like they haven't they've only put out like two or three albums in the in the kind of like the 20 years or 30 years since he's passed um but i'm I'm glad people who played with him and then kind of picking um i know some of them are and some of them are not like marshall allen for sure is and he was like the set, the lead kind of sax player for um, a long time in in the the orchestra when Sun Ra was still alive in like the you know sixties, seventies, eighties. But I I don't know for sure that every member is original, and I I don't think they are. All right, well, those are some great albums. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back with uh, other stuff we've been listening to. Right on, and we're back. Uh, well, there's um. There, there's an anniversary this month. Hmm. Besides and my birthday? Besides your birthday. <laughs> Is that an anniversary? <laughs> besides my wedding anniversary. <laughs> um, it is the 10-year anniversary of Good Kid Mad City. Wow, the 10 years already. That's, that's 10 wild. years already. This is the breakout album i would say for la rapper kendrick lamar and um we we've done it before but um i'm always a little leery to to chat kendrick lamar because i don't (laughs) think there is anyone more discussed today than kendrick lamar in terms of being one of the true musical geniuses of our age um I don't think anyone's album releases are more anticipated. I don't think anyone's work is more dissected. Um, You know, maybe Kanye with the media circus around him, but in in terms of pure artistry, I don't think anyone's in the spotlight more than uh, the Mr. Kendrick Lamar Duckworth. And his (laughs) 2012 album, Good Kid, Mad City, is really interesting to go back to. Um, Will, what do you 
do you have any experience with this album? Is this something you listen to? Is it something you enjoy? What's your, what's your perception of it uh, in the culture? And uh, I I have no I have no experience. My, you have no experience with it. Okay. My entire Kendrick experience, like I listened to Mr. Morale uh, with you earlier this year when it came out, and just to kind of like be part of the conversation. But like mostly, I've been skeptical of him because I think the reviews are so overwhelmingly <laughs> hugely positive for something that like is it's difficult for me to give that much praise to something that's like still new and kind of right. untempered by time. So I've, I've sort of put him on the back burner until like he, until I understand the scope of his career a little bit more and I can kind of go back and see. And plus also to be frank, it is more of like a West coast hip hop style that is just not what I've ever jived with as much. So Right. Um, it's, so no, I I pretty I have very limited uh, limited experience with him. Kind of it's kind of like at a distance skepticism that he really can be that like multiple ten out of ten artist of the generation that that people hold him as you know. And I understand that. And part of what convinces me that he is that artist is how I don't enjoy almost any other East West yeah, Coast, Coast hip hop. Yeah. You know where. The West Coast style, the hooks and choruses are a much bigger deal, much bigger mm -hmm. funk influence in the production rather than the, the kind of soul and grime from the East Coast. But to, to talk about storytelling, I, I do think he is that powerful of a storyteller. And Good Kid, Mad City is, is a concept album. It follows someone who all the writing suggests is, is pretty close to Kendrick himself as a kid growing up in Compton. And mm -hmm. for, for people like me who did not grow up in a situation like this, it is a uniquely poignant view into poverty in the U S and that it is, it is a, shy kid with good instincts who is caught up in a lot of stuff with his friends mm. and it it walks this perfect line that a lot of hip-hop music has trouble walking when discussing you know societal issues and poverty where it is it is not from the outside looking in. It is not someone looking outside and saying like, oh, there are cultural problems and we have to fix them. It is not rage at the system. You know, it's not most Evan Talib Kweli kind of rapping about the systematic racism that keeps them down. And it is not... A lot of rap albums have 10 songs about dealing drugs and killing people and then kind of one song about how hard it is to live in a society where everyone deals drugs and is violent to one another. And that one song is always kind of a weird vibe when you're like, wait, what was the rest of the album about? And Good Game Mad City is, is such a triumph of storytelling of just a kid in the middle of it who wants to impress his friends, who wants to have a good time, who wants to survive and for me, listening to it ten years later, it 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 really 
it, it really stands the test of time for me. And it is my only criticism I have to say about it is that it is a classic case of an album that should have cut it off. It's pretty long, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, um, we talk sometimes about like the Dinosaur Junior album where they had the perfect song to end it on with my favorite guitar solo of all time on We're Not Alone. And then they added another track that just ruins everything. Um, <laughs> the 10th song on the album, Sing About Me, I'm Dying of Thirst, is my favorite Kendrick Lamar song and a real, a real contender for one of my very favorite songs of all time. And it is followed by my least favorite Kendrick Lamar song of all time. <laughs> With a a completely unbearable hook, and then an okay song in Compton. And my only wish for this album is that they had finished on track ten, "Sing About Me, I'm Dying of Thirst," which I'm gonna play a little bit of right now. Trip how we trip off of colors. I wonder if I ever discover a passion like you and recover the life that I knew as a young and in pajamas and thunderlands. When thunder comes, it rains cats and dogs. Dumb niggas like me never prosper. Prognosis of a problem child. I'm proud and well devoted. This pyro shit been near me forever. So forever, I'ma push it wherever, whenever. And I love you because you love my brother like you did. Just promise me you tell this story when you make it big. And if I die before your album drops, so the this album follows a young stand-in for Kendrick Lamar on a night with his friends he's trying to have sex with a young woman he's freestyling in the back of his car they rob a house one of their friends gets shot and if it's not an actual night that he had it's the kind of thing that um was always happening to him in compton and sing about me is this incredible statement of these people in his life who wants their story told and are calling upon Kendrick to tell their story. This first this first verse on this song, uh, um, the young man who shot asking for a story to be told and ending with this and if I die your if I die before your album drops, I hope and then the sound of three gunshots kind of representing all the people whose stories, would be poignant, but will never make it out of Compton. The next verse, a young sex worker who is really dismissive of Kendrick, dismissive of Kendrick, who doesn't believe that Kendrick will be able to tell his her story at all. And her verse ends with him walking away and her yelling kind of fading out. Um, it's an incredible song. Anyone who is skeptical about the storytelling capacity of hip hop, who still thinks that hip hop is a is a vapid and dangerous genre uh, i would really recommend giving this song <laughs> a listen and seeing what it has to offer um so yeah that's that's good kid Bad city uh much better and more eloquent people than me have said much more eloquent things about this album but it still means a lot to me as a statement of the power of music to make things real and to provide a gateway for empathy and um, there is there is no number of books or articles I could read about 
the bad economic conditions in Compton that would inspire the same empathy mm. and you know I I, I I I work in I work in criminal justice and a lot of that is is racial justice and um I, I did not get this passionate about it because I read studies about how about racial disparities. I got into it because I met people who who in whose lives I could see those disparities and the harm they caused. And art is such an amazing bridge in that experience. And this album came to me at a time where I had gone from an elite college and started taking night shifts at a homeless shelter. And I don't know if if that connection would have stuck so much if not for works of art like this one. So this is a very personal album to me and I think a real testament to 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 the power of art in general. And so yeah, I mean it's whatever. I mean, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> it's like pour your soul out and you're like, it's what it's what it's what I agree. Um do you is it above um to pimp a butterfly for you? Is this your favorite country? No, 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 no. Um I, I, I think to to pimp a butterfly is me it's worth like musically this album is okay for me <laughs> like as oh okay <laughs> it, 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 it is very stuck in uh it, it is very stuck in a lot of west coast stuff i don't like and his nasal delivery kind of overpowers i was i was about to say that some of the i, don't, I just can't get on like promise that you well that's saying like I don't know what yeah, it, it's is extremely going on nasal, there, but... and sometimes I get caught up in it. But it's you know the, um, there there's different channels for art to operate, and the the story I, I know sometimes storytelling isn't high on your list of priorities, but this this album is powerful in ways that outstrip how good it is. Musically. musically and yeah. that's and that's a different axis but i think it's an important axis i think to Bip a butterfly is this pure masterpiece because it is it is also extremely powerful and uh it is musically uh incredible mm. in a way that this album is is not and part of that is the power of the collaborators he had on to Bip a butterfly i mean he had anyone in the music industry he wanted to work with and made really good <laughs> use of that moment <laughs> Um, whereas that, that was not the case when he recorded this album. Uh, so yeah, yeah. uh, good kid, man city. It's, it is, it holds up after 10 years, um, in its storytelling power, even if, uh, some of the music, but you know, it, you know, you can talk about perfection in terms of flawlessness, but you can also turn, talk about perfection in terms of putting you in a state of mind where it doesn't occur to you to look for flaws and I think this is more in the latter for me, where it it puts me in an uncritical state of mind to get swept up in the stories he's telling, and it doesn't yeah, occur it totally to me. Makes, makes sense. It doesn't occur to me to say, "Oh, he's a little nasal here," um, except on on the last two tracks on the album, which I really just don't, <laughs> don't like. <laughs> All right, passing the ox. Sorry, I got long winded about that, but uh, passing the ox back. Oh, it's important. It's an important record for you. Yeah, uh, it's an important record. Period. <laughs> Yeah, I got perhaps, depending on your perspective, the best or most overrated band of all time, the Beatles. Beatles. Um, <laughs> Beatles. 
So Maxwell uh, Silver Hammer goes ding. ding. <laughs> Like, you know what I was thinking earlier when we were talking, before we got on podcast, we were talking about, um, like, you really enjoying the Stanley Kubrick thing yeah. of Blank Check. And I was like, I wish Blank Check would do, like, a Beatles one that you, would like, listened along to. Because I feel like they're, they're, like, the Stanley Kubrick to me where it's, like, they, I could understand why they are kind of inscrutable and whatever. But I think if you follow the story, it is, it, it is good. I don't know. Uh, one day yeah, I'll, we, like, we, we, we... get around to Beatles things. We, we were talking about this earlier, and we were, t- you know, it, there, there's, there's a much better podcast than this called Blank Check, which was kind of the inspiration <laughs> for me in our first format, where they are going through the films of Stanley Kubrick and having some really interesting discussions about kind of being doomed by, you know, kind of laboring under your legacy, but then the individual pieces of art are actually a lot more approachable than the legacy suggests. And I think Mm -hmm. Kubrick has such this place of like, oh, he's he's the genius filmmaker. He made the best. But then, I mean, like 2001 is is an odd movie, but his movies are extremely watchable. The Shining is an extremely watchable horror movie. Barry Lyndon is a fun historical romp. you know, it, it, his his movies are much easier to watch than his legend suggests, and I think the Beatles are much more listenable than their than their like place in the pantheon suggests that they. Are. Yeah, I also think that they have like such a unique like they were. How can I say this? Like, the Beatles would be like if Stanley Kubrick had been making movies in like the twenties and thirties, and then was like okay. still considered the best. It's like right. that kind of thing where it's like. Like, the Beatles have both the baggage of being considered the best and also kind of the baggage of being, like, progenitors of, like, popular recorded music as it's kind of consumed today, I think. And so, yeah. like, it's, it's a hard thing to separate out because I think, like, they, because they are sort of the start of so much... Um, it's easy to overrate and lump them. And I totally understand that, but yeah. And I, I think there's some kind of, this is probably maybe a discussion, but I, I think there's some complication in terms of like, I think your words are exactly correct that they're progenitors of like popular recorded music. And there, there's so much history in the style that led up to the Beatles. that can kind of get mm-hmm. washed away. If you like only, if, if you think that the Beatles invented those sounds, um, but they they are the culmination of a, of a lot and really the inflection point for okay we have recording technology we're going to like mass yeah, distribute yeah, recorded music what is what yeah, popular which is why i was saying like yeah yeah it's sort of like you know there was a lot of like stage and screen and written things before film you know there's like a ton of stuff that goes into right, it it's yeah. just like there there were like kind of people that like codified the the language of film in a way. And I think the Beatles are kind of that for studio recording. And so it, you know, they're kind of inseparable from some of it. Um, but anyway, like you said, probably a different conversation, but, um, the Beatles have recently been in the last like five years or so, they've been putting out 50th anniversary box sets of a lot of their, Oh, you um, love a box set. I do. And, but these are, these are interesting box sets. Do you know, Paul, because this is not something that I was, you know, ever familiar with when I was growing up and listening to, but the difference between like remixes, remasters and reissues and all that kind of like the technical kind of, Will, Will, I would love it if you walked me through it. (laughs) Well, basically like 
a remaster would be like when a band is making an album, right? Yes. They will have a bunch of individual tracks that are the individual recordings. Back in the Beatles day, it was four tracks. And right. then eventually by the time they were done, I think they were working on like maybe eight and 16 track machines. And then, you know, now it's like pro tools and you can make as many fucking tracks as you want. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but back in the day, there were like limitations of tape and stuff. So what would happen is you would record all these individual tracks and then you would mix it down into a, a, a master mix. Right. And then that mix would be sent to um, a mastering engineer and that mastering engineer would master it for a vinyl. And the mastering involves like changing um, EQ and volume se- like s- sections. It's basically like shaping the kind of the, the sound wave of yeah. the final mix. But, it d- but, but it, it it's already evolve. mixed down. Yes, it's already baked in. Yeah. And so the Beatles, um, what's been happening recently is Giles Martin, who is George Martin's son. And George Martin was like well known as the fifth Beatle. He was the one who was the producer of the Beatles and the one who um, like wrote a lot of their kind of string accompaniment, who did a lot of the, like basically they were, I mean, you know, they were young kind of working class songwriting dudes who came to this guy and George Martin, who was a classical music composer and producer. And they would say, like, we want to make us something that sounds like this. And he would figure out how to do it. He was a hugely instrumental part in what the Beatles became. And his son, Giles, is now going through and actually remixing the albums. So, like, in the past, there have been remasters, you know, where it's, like, it's still the same mix that you know of Sgt. Pepper's. It's still the same mix of the White Album. It's still all these same, you know, mixes. It's just that now who's ever doing the mastering pass on them has a chance to kind of, like, tweak, you know, volume levels and EQ levels and things like that to kind of make their experience of it. And that can make a big difference. Like, you know, when you buy a Love Supreme and it's remastered on all analog by, like, a really great mastering engineer, like, that's going to be great. You know, they're not changing the mix, but they are kind of using their special magic in the mastering process. But what Giles Martin has been doing is actually going back to the original tapes and remixing the albums for okay. kind of, like, a more modern ear. Um, it's a long conversation, but the long and short of it is that, like, the Beatles back in the day were only interested in the mono mixes of their albums. They would stick around and they would do that and they would make it with sure it was perfect and then they would leave and somebody else would do the stereo mixes. And the and consequently I've heard that you led say to this, that the stereo mixes are sometimes very bad. They're yeah, they're weird. Um they got better as they went because stereo music became more um, you know, ubiquitous, but like in the early stereo days of the Beatles it'll be like a guitar hard pan to the left, a vocal hard pan to the right, like a drum hard pan to the left and it's just very jarring and odd to hear. Is it just so, that they're trying to uh, play around with new technology and be like, isn't it yeah, cool? Yeah, and, and, can, and like, the Beatles just didn't give yeah. a shit. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, they were, they were just like, whatever, we made the mono mix, we made the version we wanted, do, do with it what you will to, to sell these stereo copies, but that's not what we see our music as. So, so Giles Martin's kind of project over the last couple of years has been going back, and he has been taking the original, you know, tracks of all these different things and he's been actually like remixing everything you know placing the guitars in different places the drums in different places in terms of like panning and eqing and like where they come in and like using all these different you know pieces and this this actually was an interesting project because it was impossible to do before peter jackson's beatles documentary because for that documentary he he developed along with i guess like because he he owns like weta digital i think like the like yeah. i think they're like a new zealand um like tech company or they yeah do, like, what what is it what is his house to like do all the his Lord of the Rings movies and, and like and so they developed technology. a an ai learning program that would listen to the four tracks that were baked in with all the instruments and digitally right. separate each stem oh of the so you could so get back to the original tracks possible. 
Yes. And that's what he developed it for the Get Back documentary so that he could isolate their studio chatter. So like when you're watching the movie, it's very clear that you can hear what they're saying, but right. there's an AI program that's pulling the Beatles' voices from these like, you know, big kind of studio recordings that just have all of these different things baked into them. So for a I long time, it. I love like, it when a Chad just invents a fucking technology. Right, when he just does do it. Yeah. When he's just like, <laughs> oh, we don't have the technology for that. Oh, do it, <laughs> do it. Yeah. So so George, or so uh, sorry, uh, Peter Jackson has invented this, and he has not allowed it to be used for anything else. And until Giles Martin came to him and was like, hey, you know, I've remixed these other albums because we had the multi tracks for them, but Revolver was the last album that they made on full four track. Can I use this technology to pull apart the stems from these tracks and then do a fresh remix? Peter Jackson says yes. And so just released on Friday is this super deluxe version of Revolver, which comes with this new, you know, stereo mix by Giles Martin that is, you know, pulled apart stems from the AI stuff. It also has a remaster of the original uh, mono, and then it has a 2LP of session outtakes and different things like that. So yeah, no um, who would have thought that the Dead Alive guy would... Yeah, make the right. Best would be fantasy, would be would, would make the best <laughs> fantasy adaptation of all time, and uh, you know, help create and allow the Beatles revolvers <laughs> from 1966 to be remastered by the yeah. son of the original recording. I, I not for me. I wouldn't have bet on that. I would so, not have bet. so, if you showed me Dead yeah, Alive, so I, I would not have guessed that. <laughs> the, the 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 nun zombie sex scene would not have have made one think that this is where it would go. Uh, so I'm going to play a little bit of um. I don't have you ever heard Revolver? Is that part of your Beatles? Yeah, I've been canon? You know, I we kind of alluded earlier to that moment where you start getting it and I keep expecting that to happen <laughs> with the Beatles. Yeah. And it keeps not happening to the point no, where I'm getting I'm, I'm getting close to saying like I gave it a shot. It's just not I reckon I yeah. recognize the importance, but if I know in my heart that I gave it an honest shot, I think I will be okay with saying, you know what? There's plenty of fans of the Beatles. I will be fine. Yeah, they don't I just never really understand why, <laughs> I think they'll be okay. like, why they like the Beatles so much. Yeah. So I, I just want to play a little bit of, um, I mean, I, I really like Revolver a lot in general. I think so far I've listened to the original motto. I have not put on the stereo remix of the whole thing, but I have started listening to the um, outtakes. And Tomorrow Never Knows, the last track on Revolver, I think is like, unbelievably progressive in the in like coming out in 1966 and being this kind of like psyche weird rock kind of thing um and there's a cool like sort of version of it on um the outtakes disc so i'm going to play a little bit of tomorrow never knows this is the first take um for what it would eventually be become but i think it still has some cool kind of sounds and ideas going on in it So, you know, the Beatles are one of those bands that I know so well that I can hear something that's, like, different and be like, oh, wow, so interesting. And for, you know, for you, that might just be the first time you've ever heard that song. Oh. Or but it's, 
I think that is such a, and this to me, the end of this album and that song particular is such an inflection point for John Lennon and for what he's doing with the Beatles and kind of the separation of the Lennon McCartney relationship into two separate songwriters, like his following his muse into like kind of this odd psychedelic, like tone poem, you know, that was almost like a twisted, there's like Hawaiian kind of slide guitar on it. It's, it's, it's like a lot of things going on. And then Paul McCartney's still, you know, writing the Hey Jude's of the world, which is not, it's, it's just different. It's just a different kind of thing. Um, and so it was just really cool to see that sort of in its embryonic state. And I really enjoyed pulling apart some of these um, revolver sessions and just hearing pieces of it. Because I think um, this is kind of, to, like I said, to me, the point where like the Mac Lennon-McCartney songwriting duo kind of splits into into different things and kind of becomes you know, the, the more iconic version of like the bespectacled kind of psychedelic John Lennon that's, that's yeah. kind of out and about in people's minds. So um, I really enjoyed that little outtake. I don't know if, if um, that's a song that you're familiar with and if the outtake is any different or not from what you've heard, but um, yeah, yeah I, I, uh, I think it's a cool piece. It, it's certainly different. And it, it, it just makes me reflect on like, I giving the Beatles their correct due in musical history is just kind of a tricky process for me. And I think I'm in, I'm always in like, kind of like a Hegelian, like, argument, counter arguments of it, where the, the, the thing your comment earlier made me think of is I think that like, the first statement is like, oh, the Beatles, like, really created rock music. And then the counter argument is like, well, like saying, like, giving too much credit to the Beatles for creating rock music really erases a lot of musical history, and especially a lot of like, I am... I'm very sensitive to like the role of black Americans in creating rock and music getting erased. Um, mm. Cause I feel like it's a very like mainstream of American culture kind of considers like, well, rock music is white music and the rap music is black people's music. And that really erases a lot of history and that, you know, a lot of African Americans were really instrumental in, in creating rock and roll music as well. But then the, like, but that's also reductive and the Beatles were an incredibly creative band. <laughs> And they really like yeah, I mean, do I, a lot I of this I think that stuff. like it's tough because I think that is very true for the early stuff. Like, you know, and Paul McCartney never like he never really left that kind of rock and roll boogie woogie yeah. thing of being like a like wanting to be a white little Richard was like his, you know, Exa his yeah, exactly. And, and, it, and like... it's kind of like it's hard to remove that from, you know, their early stuff, especially when a lot of their things are this like very straightforward, like, you know, it's, it's, the, it's a British ism of Elvis, which is a white ism of black rock and roll boogie woogie music. And then, so, so I, I understand all of that, but I do think there's a point around now in the Beatles career where, where it does diverge and what, what, especially what John is doing with the kind of like psych and Indian music side of it, I think is a little bit different and interesting. So like, they're kind of like you said they're both at the same time they're they are both are like taking a lot from other things and being overly credited for creating rock and roll but they also maybe are are deserving of some of their later form more experimental kind of like studio based um understanding of what you know an album can be instead of just kind of a band that releases singles like concept albums and and statements like that so it's it's both it's not there it's just yeah. a big mess to talk about the whole thing you know <laughs> It really is. And that's what, like, I, I I, just get defensive about, it's so convenient to talk about the British invasion of, like, oh, rock music came to America from, from Britain, and mm. and we got it from there, and the way that erases, like, like, Little Richard, or, like, Sister Rosetta Tharp, who, like, no one has ever heard of, who is, like, this, you know, black woman from Cotton Plant, Arkansas, 
who is like maybe the first rock guitarist in a lot of ways. And I don't know, like, and I know that's like, that doesn't really have anything to do with how good the Beatles music is. Um, mm-hmm. It's just something I get defensive about their place in the pantheon, which I think yeah, can no, be kind that. of an erasing presence, but then that can make me deaf to what really are their their contributions. So I, I, I'm i still working on the Beatles, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they just never... I think what them. I would like to do at some point, because I was thinking about this, about like if I brought a Beatles album to our top 10 format... I'd be shocked if you did probably... It would probably be the White Album because I think to me that is the one that like you can see the individual pieces of each Beatle the most um, the most clearly. So I think it might be interesting to just like make you kind of a playlist of like essential John tracks, essential Paul tracks, essential George tracks, and sort of see if maybe there's like something in them that you connect to that is not that is like lost in the whole of it. Maybe I don't know. I I'd be curious because I've been thinking about how would I I pitch this to Paul or like could I. Could I find a way to give you context to allow you to enjoy them in in the setting that we kind of are doing this, or or is it just like a lost cause? <laughs> and I don't know. Oddly enough, I'm I think I'm I, I suspect that I'm kind of a goofy Paul guy, like the kind of like weird Britishisms <laughs> and like the folk he brings yeah. to it. Um, but yeah, I I think we're going to talk about the Beatles a lot. Um, they're a big part of music history, and I I understand why they are who they are. They just uh, have never clicked for me and I'm, I'm, I'm a good way through giving them what I, what I consider a, a fair shot mm-hmm. and not just having a contrarian like, Oh, wouldn't it be interesting if I didn't like the Beatles? Yeah. Wouldn't that, but like, wouldn't that be a fun contrarian impulse for yeah. me to have if I disliked the Beatles? I know. I, I don't like, have think you I'm listened to, place. you yeah. haven't listened to revolver though. Have you? Yes, I've listened to every Beatles album at least once. Oh, oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, it's not like I've never listened to them. I'm just not obsessive about them. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. All right. We, we're kind of going long. Maybe maybe one more each? I got one. Yeah, there's one more that I do want to talk about. The third yeah. one I can I can drop. But there's I, I, can, I, can, I can drop one. Um, I'm going to talk about um, an album um, an album from 2012 called Body Faucet by a band called Reptar. And this is a band that's a little bit idiosyncratic to me. And the best way I can describe it is... um, Rugrats Rock? What if you had a big glass of uh, Passion Pit MGMT and someone spilled a little bit of very early Red Hot Chili Peppers in your MGMT. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. And I, I, I was Holy thinking shit. about that phrasing earlier, and I was like, how can I make a band sound the least palatable the to least Will? To Will? <laughs> the least oh, appealing oh, God. to Will and to his taste. And I think this is, this is a Reese's commercial, and it's like, oh, you got your early Red Hot Chili Peppers in my MGMT. You got your MGMT in my early Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, this is a band from Athens, Georgia. They were never much oh. more than a party band. They released two full-length LPs and then kind of disbanded, but they were a huge part of Georgia music for, not while well, I was in Georgia, but but for um, a couple of years and just kind of a notorious house party band. And I'm going to play a little bit of um, Office Origami. Orifice Origami. <laughs> very different. Very different. <laughs> HR has very different opinions on what those are. <laughs> <laughs> 
so did, uh, did, was the analogy I chose uh, accurate? Do, do you see what, what, where where I got that mixed? Yeah, from? I think it sounds way more. I was expecting it to be way worse. <laughs> yeah, I know, I right? It sounds, it, it's pretty cool, right? Like it's yeah, it's, it sounds it's, it's way something. more like the Passion Pit MGMT thing than it does the Chili Peppers. Unless but I mean, see, I'm also just not it? that familiar with the Chili Peppers. But there is like that kind of like funkiness to the guitar. You, you, you see in the like, bass like the you see in the bass lines and the forward drumming a little bit of that like you know funky like bow, 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 bow. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I just, this is a band that slaps a huge fucking smile on my face. Um, <laughs> I can't stop head bobbing when I'm listening to them. I think they have an incredible energy. Um, I wish I had been, uh, in a position to see them live at any point. Um, but I was a loser in 2012, so I, uh, did Do not. Do they still exist? Are they still a band? No, they don't tour anymore. They don't really put out music anymore. Um, which is a shame. They, they had a, uh. They had a 2015 album, but that was the last thing they ever put out. Um, I would love to see them come back. Reptar, if you're out there, make some new music. <laughs> I really, um, I mean, like, I, I still have a soft spot for, like, a lot of music discover. Like, the music that I was not discovering from you when we went to college together was the kind of, elect, you know, indie electronica, MGMT, Passion Pit, that kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thing which was really big when we were in college um, it was that was the heyday and like I, I still remember hearing um sleepyhead by passion pit and i never really heard a song like I that, love that before song. and it's it's it it, it holds up. i have so, a yeah. friend who i've been trying to get to come on the podcast because he wants to do a passion pit record would be his i would top love to do i would love to do i know i love to do a passion pit record i think there was their db called again um uh, the one that I think he's into is Gossamer, I think. I don't know what the... Yes, that, that um, is the one I'd be more interested in. Uh, okay, you know, yeah, Gossamer's their, their middle one. Um, yeah. There's one before that, but I don't remember. I think Sleepyhead... Manor, is Manners that, is on Sleepyhead, which is my favorite. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gossamer's kind of more forward on the singer and less on the kind of, like, electronica of it all, but there, there's a yeah, lot of songs yeah. on Gossamer I really like. Um. So yeah, that's uh, Reptar. Um, Reptar and the album is Body Faucet. I think it's unique sound. I think it's a lot of fun. I think was there anything that drove you to pick this back up, like this this month? Or it's was just, it just it's just something I come. It's just something I flop around to. You know, I've been trying to hit the gym lately, and whenever I need a little energy to get out the door, I think it's a very um, energetic. A little bit of um, a little bit of uh, Peptar. Yeah, a, a little bit of Reptar, a little bit of <laughs> Peptar. Um, you know, or you know, I'm a. <laughs> I've got my stereo system up now, so um, we're kind of in the reverse situation. I'm I'm kind of in the reverse situation of apartment living, where I can't play loud music during the day because there's a business downstairs <laughs> for me. Yeah, but true. once once six p.m. rolls around, I can start fucking cranking it. And if I'm <laughs> if I'm feeling myself with a little G and T and feel like dancing around, I might blast some Reptar from the sound system. Just kind of do do a silly dance all by myself. I like it. You know, sometimes you got to get flirty with yourself. Is what I'm saying. Oh, uh, I know. Um. Anyway, uh, Will, take us out, buddy. Yeah. To bring us out, I wanted to talk about. Well, wait. Uh, what do you mean to play us out? To play. <laughs> what do you What do you mean? I wanted to talk about your favorite state, Paul. Oh. My favorite state. Texas? Texas. North Carolina? Yes, sir. 
Okay, I don't Texas. think Texas is my favorite state. It's just where I'm from. All right. Well, I've been misled. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I re- recently there was a, a reissue of this. Uh, it was a box set of different albums from this label that was called Irida Records. And the box set is called Hybrid Musics from Texas and Beyond 1978 to 1986. And this is a very cool box set. It is exactly Ooh. my like scope of kind of specific and handcrafted and loving. Um, it has really interesting, odd music to it. Um, Irida Records was this thing founded by Jerry Hunt, I believe was the guy's name, in okay. Canton, Texas. Or Canton? I don't know how you say it. Canton. Um, Definitely uh, not Canton. Canton, Can- Canton, Canton Texas. Canton, Canton, Texas. Canton, Texas. And... Um, it's it's odd. He only put out like seven records, and they were sporadic throughout the years. And then only seven. In his, yeah. Oh, only like seven, the, the, the record, record, the record label, only record label okay. itself only put out. Okay, seven. I was like, I thought um, he was an. I thought we were talking about an artist. No, like, no, no. Yeah, I mean, he did put. He did put some stuff out on this label, right. but it was also other people that he was kind of. So the, with. this label and, um, only had seven albums. Yeah, it was just this weird sporadic, like mail order, like hardly existed kind of thing. In in interviews later, he would say that it was all a f- for like a tax fraud that he like <laughs> made an album or he made a label on purpose that would fail so he could like collect money from like the failure of a business or something like that. And I don't know a real, if that's, a, a, a real the, if that's just him. A real the producer of being. Yeah, it's, a record it's, I, I don't really understand what, what what's is behind it. But but anyway, um, this. Box that came out, and it is seven vinyl records. It's everything that was ever put out on this, on this album, and it includes a variety of different kind of American, like hi- hybrid music is kind of the 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 thrust of it, which is this mix between computer and classical contemporary stuff, oh. um, and kind of early computer. I music was and I was so excited. Well, you haven't been very weird today. I thought maybe maybe I know. get out. I was like, oh no, it's Wilson, about to get tasty, buddy. I was like, well, well, this is very normal today. Maybe we'll get through this recording. Will won't. But we're um, no, here no, 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 and no. I'm excited. I'm here. This is this is why we're friends. I'm here for it. This is this is what you sign up for. Um so i I enjoyed all of the al- uh, albums on this. Like I, I thought this was universally it was a really cool box set. It's one I'm gonna go back to I, I'm sure many times over and listen to. But my big find from it was this guy Larry Austin, who has one album specifically in the middle that is hit the album is called Hybrid Musics, and it is so fucking cool i put this track on this is the side the side uh track one of side a of this album and was just absolutely transfixed and then when it built to the kind of crescendo that i'm about to play you i I basically creamed my jeans i was like holy fucking shit i cannot believe this is like out here and i haven't discovered this so this is called quadrants colon events slash complex number one by larry austin and it is a hybrid piece for i believe like a four strings and computer things so i'm going to play you the kind of the, the climax of the mix of the two of them that really uh, got my rocks off
So that, that's the stuff yeah, right there. That, man. That is, I, I thought we were going to get through an episode without some weird shit, and here's the weird shit. I love it. That's that no, is that friend. is that is chunky though. I enjoyed that. I know. I like the first time when I heard it, and it was just going up and going up, and then all of a sudden it hits that fucking like de-resting, like I was like, oh my god! I it's just so cool. Um, yeah, and it's that's kind of a sample of what the whole box set is. Just this very cool, like hits this great time for me of late seventies to early eighties when computer music was still um, kind of analog, like chunky program stuff. It wasn't we weren't quite into like the FM digital synthesis um, era, and it's just uh, it's very. You know, it's like a lot of people that worked at kind of like um, like academia kind of music stuff that studied with like the John Cages of, of the world and kind of were like different professors at like, you know, wh the whatever school of music and computer technology. And um, so it's very like academic kind of heady, like small press, um, just interesting hybrid Americana music from uh, Texas. So yeah, what, what, I, I what year is that? What year that is that released? This one, I need to look it up. Um, but... The whole, as a whole, the set is from 1979 to 86. This hybrid music came out in 1980. Is when is when that came out. And uh, man, it is so tasty, so exactly my thing. Um, and I was very happy to to kind of get this a hold of this and just like, you know, the scope of it. It's like oh, this this weird little label that only put out a couple things and like with these people and they did this hybrid music. It's just like it, it's it's the combination of the music and the kind of the story and the oddness that I can just kind of really buy into and feel like is, is exactly uh, my thing. So I've, I was very happy to, to pick up this um, definitely one of the better reissues that I've seen, I think in recent memories. Did that, did that strike anything for you? I know you said, yeah, chunky, no, I, it, I, mean, it, yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been watching a lot of Kubrick lately. It put me in a kind of 2001 kind of mood. Kind of yeah. Like, right. It does have that. It's that, all yeah, made that, of stars. That kind of like dissonant. <laughs> Starve Man thing. Yeah, and it is all, this whole box set is on Spotify. Um, you can find the whole thing um, streaming, so you don't have to pick up the $300 you know, LP set if hey, you don't want you, to. You buy box sets, so I don't have to. It, it's true. <laughs> there's that old... Yeah, so... I feel know, like... We, uh, there's, we got weird. I had to make it weird. I'm sorry. There, there, there's that old green text that's like... And this is always the best audio when you're just like describing a thing you saw on the internet. Describing them. like... <laughs> describing them it's like you know, someone's describing his budget it's like food 200 like you know water 150 oh, yeah. candles 3000 <laughs> like can someone help me budget i feel like he was like food 150 <laughs> rent 1000 box sets five thousand dollars can someone help me budget i can't make this that's work. actually the most accurate thing that that's <laughs> ever been said it's very, like, uh, very hey will you should buy less box sets no 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 <laughs> insane insane what are you talking about crazy that you would suggest that well, Will, it was a lot of fun to discuss uh, music with you for almost two hours at this point. Yeah, we we did a good uh, we did a good walkthrough. I mean, you know, we had some uh, we had some good talking points yeah. around a few of these. So, and I I didn't even long. get to uh, the National, which was the other band that I was going to talk about. But we'll well, my other band was going to be time. an early '90s uh, emo core post hardcore band. So I was yeah, gonna I wasn't going to leave it on called? There. They're called a uh, Current. They okay. there was just a box that they reissued all of their stuff, and I've been really. Uh, enjoying it kind of reminds me of like the dc um hardcore well, post-hardcore well, scene that i've referenced a lot the rights well, of spring and fugazi stuff that i really like well well you've got a box set problem it's tearing your family apart i know i know that was that's like one of three box sets i was going to talk about actually four because the beatles one was a box set too it's a lot of box sets all right always a pleasure will and to all our listeners thank you you are uh some of my top 10 favorite listeners of all time and we'll talk you're to you're my next most week. boxed set 
We'll talk to you next week where we discuss some of the music of Scott Walker. Ooh, exciting. Have a good week and goodbye. Goodbye.